Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Time Lord Victorious as he travels into the dark times and arrive at episode 496, where it all ends. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. And joining us tonight on the uh, podcast for our discussion of Time Lord Victorious is our friend Tim Harvey from Sci-Fi for Me TV or Sci-Fi for Me TV, and uh, also a host of uh, Tardis Sauce over there, which uh, we frequently guest on. Tim, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here, guys. It's great to have you. It's nice to bring you over and, and talk to you on this side of the. Uh, Oh, the the audio side yeah. of things. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic to be here, and this is a fairly sizable chunk of story to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. So, <laughs> well, let's real quick uh, let's talk about what we did this week. Uh, did you guys watch or read anything this week that you guys want to talk about? I finally got around to watching um, 101 Dalmatians. Um, because I have never seen the live action version with Glenn Close. And the reason oh, it, the reason I got sparked to do that is that Sean was raving about Cruella on Facebook and I thought and I, I really wasn't sure that I wanted to see Cruella, but then I thought, well now I kinda wanna see the first, you know, one hundred and one and one hundred and two live action films before I watch Cruella, so at least I'm going into it with some, you know, comparisons. Um, I, I don't think they're you know related in any way as far as sequel prequel go, but uh, I did want to watch it, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the first one. Um, it's I didn't realize it was j- written by John Hughes. It's got a lot of his kind of style of storytelling, and uh, it's funny. It's fun. I don't think I think it's kind of it's sort of dated, and it's sort of it's I don't think if it was made today I don't think it would hold up because it's almost too farcical that I think that audiences of today probably wouldn't appreciate some of the humor and the slapstick in it I may be wrong but it just doesn't feel like a film that that could be made today and 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 not get a lot of flack but uh, overall, it's it's really good. It was, it was a really good faithful adaptation of both the book and the the animated version. And I really liked the fact that um, uh, oh gosh, now I can't remember the Jeff Daniels uh, character. Uh, I like the fact that instead of a songwriter, he's a video game programmer. I thought that was kind of a, a nice modernization. <laughs> so, but I give it a kudos. It it was good. I really enjoyed it. Hundred One Dalmatians is probably the best live action Disney remake, even of all the new ones they've done. I, 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 maybe Jungle it, Book. Excluding the new ones, which I have mixed feelings about. It, they're not bad movies inherently. It's just they're unnecessary movies. Yeah, exactly. Bing. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Well, they're necessary for the bottom line. Right, That's... right. <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, Disney's, do, exactly, Disney does it for the money. Dis, Disney does it because they have an, a moderate amount of success and, and actually a lot of success with a few of them, but they do it because they don't know how to make live action films anymore. That's why they had to buy up Marvel and Star Wars and all these other properties so that they could, 
you know, turn out other live action films. They still, I think they still have a grasp on the animated stuff, but they just, uh, they haven't been able to turn out a, an original live action film that's just done anything very well. So as long as people are going to easy, as long as people are going to keep giving them money, they're going to keep doing it. Right. Exactly. exactly. We have only ourselves to blame. (laughs) That's right. We keep paying them. And at this point, it's all about brand management. Why bother trying to create something new when you can just keep repackaging what audiences already love? Right. That's not guilt. Uh, Disney's not the only one guilty of that, though. That's across the board. A lot of Hollywood does that now. Remake what? fatigue. See, <laughs> it isn't so. Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> I'm People actually, tend I'm, to forget that it's a business. I'm actually and... still excited about that one, though. I'm very excited about that one. <laughs> so you, I'm over here going, shame on all of you for helping to promote these things. And over here I'm going, shut up and take my money for these <laughs> yeah, things. Right. <laughs> Contradiction is fine. We're allowed. <laughs> Did you guys watch anything new this week? Read anything new this week? Keith, surely you got another book in. No, I did finish my run through Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, though, and very very good I really liked volume 3 volume 3 was really good volume 2 got a little bit trippy but it was a nice tie in to Rebels surprisingly oh, so is that right? I liked it does that, yeah. does, does that bring it up current to where it is now or does that bring it up as far as you had available That, uh, as far as I'm aware that's all of the Dark Lord of the Sith ones Okay. I need to do more digging to see if there's more issues or just those volumes Okay, because I thought. But then there's the Darth Vader comic. That okay, is that post? I think A New Hope. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of. I knew I knew there was still a Darth Darth Vader comic running right now. So yeah, but I think that's all the ones set between Revenge of the Sith and the New Hope. I could ah. be wrong on that, but I'm pretty certain. I see. So it's worth the read, huh? Yes, definitely. Okay. Especially as simple as and easy it is to read graphic novels. Oh, They're not fun. a long time suck or anything. Hey, you can get through them pretty, pretty easily. I mean, I was burning through most of them in, in a night. Wait, As Glenn I... pointed out, yes, I was raving about Cruella. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I, and I, I was the biggest skeptic. I was not looking forward to this movie. I've not really enjoyed many of the, the current batch of of live action uh, remakes and prequels and origin stories and whatnots. And uh, this one, especially, Oh, you're going to make me feel sympathy for a murderer of dogs. Okay. Good luck with that. <laughs> but uh, man, it was fun. So much fun, completely unexpected. And I'll freely admit, maybe it's just because my expectations were so low yeah. that, you know, maybe I enjoyed it more than it's actually worth. But uh, it it just it's got a ton of energy. It's got some great performances, and what I appreciate the most about it is it's not really an origin story for Cruella. It's not a live action remake of 101 Dalmatians. There are elements of 101 Dalmatians, just enough to kind of keep it anchored in that overall story. But it's, it's kind of like a different universe, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, I, at no point in time do I genuinely believe that even where this one lies, leaves off that we're going to wind up with her becoming the Cruella of the animated yeah. movie. Okay. So, 
that that to, that was one of the most impressive. Oh, and the needle drops. Oh my God, the soundtrack to this thing is phenomenal. <laughs> it's so full of snark and fun, and I just we had a blast. We the most entertained I've been in a theater in a long time. Hmm. Now, well, admittedly, good. how long has it been? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also knocked out. We we've been doing our uh, our Fast and the Furious catch up because I missed the majority of those movies when when they were coming out, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, we watched uh, Tokyo Drift, but we did it chronologically. <laughs> so for for those of you that don't know the, the Fast and the Furious franchise, you watch one, two, and then you skip three, and you go to four, five, and then you watch six. And then you don't watch the cutscene at the end of the credits of six. <laughs> and then you go back and watch Tokyo Drift. And then you go back and watch the cutscene at the end of six and then watch seven. And I thought, yeah, right. There's no way they're going to be able to make that work. And I have to be honest. I know everybody hates Tokyo Drift. I know that it's regarded as the weakest of the films. Um, you, you watch them in, in order and all of the retconning that they do to make it fit where it does. I got to say, I found it to be kind of enjoyable. <laughs> now, a large part of that is because I love Han. Mm-hmm. He, he, he rapidly became one of my favorite side characters of that saga. And the fact that he's really kind of the focus of Tokyo Drift, yeah. that helped immensely. Um, but when, when you watch it in the order that it's now set, it's like there's, there's rationale and, and justification for everything Han does. And you, you can just read a lot into it. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'm on board with this. This is cool. So it's still not good from, you know, <laughs> especially coming off the high of six, because six is a great fun movie. Yeah. And, and then you go to this, well, I can't I, even remember the guy's name, Aaron Paul or whatever the, yeah. the, the not, not, uh, <laughs> not Brian. What's his name? Yeah, but uh, you know, play, playing a thirty-nine-year-old high school student—there, <laughs> there, there are numerous problems there. But right. you know, it, it was fun. So for me, the first time watch, I was like, "Yeah, I, I don't, I didn't hate this." Yeah, so. I don't think it's a bad movie. I, I, again, that's the last one I ended on. I didn't think it was bad at all. Um, it's certainly the weakest of the three I've seen so far. But I'm sure, you know, it's. That's interesting yeah, it, that it's interesting that it does work as much shoehorning and retconning they had to do for it. But yeah, it, 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 I would agree with that. It's still the weakest of them, but it it's not as bereft of entertainment value as people seem to make it out to be. Yeah. So that was my week. Tim, how about you? Did you watch anything or read anything? I have not done as much watching or reading or listening to much of anything this week, um, mostly because. I've been working on editing a uh, one-man show for the Kansas City Fringe Festival. Oh, fun! And uh, it's a uh, an actor. He lives up in the uh, Upper Midwest. Whose his show is called Holy Holier? No, I'm sorry, uh, Moliere than Thou. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it is a collection of the premises that. Uh, um, unfortunately, the folks who came to the theater to see the latest Moliere play uh, have just found Moliere himself there because the rest of the cast ate some bad fish. <laughs> and so he has to do it as a series of monologues. Basically, it's, it's his greatest hits. 
And it's very funny. He's a fine performer. And so it's been a lot of fun to, to edit his show. Uh, but it's also a lot of work because in this is the first time he's done a multi-camera setup and he's, you know, we're, we're in different states. Yeah. Uh, and so his three cameras are three different kinds of camera. Oh, and yeah. uh, <laughs> one of which is an iPhone, which is beautiful, sharp footage and a very interesting color and light range. And it doesn't look like anything else so i've been uh not only not only diving much much deeper into my color correction skills than i ever have before but also trying really really hard to grade this so that it doesn't look <laughs> jarring between shots right, right. um so it's been very interesting and i mean i've it's it's I've, I've been watching a lot of other people's videos to sit there and say okay okay cool cool great make a note and a lot of that um mm. And so the only thing I've been listening to, and I haven't been reading anything, uh, I've been listening to uh, a book I've I've listened to a number of times, mostly because I know that I'm going to lose concentration on anything else new right now because I'm going to I have to keep coming back to this 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 video. Uh, but I I re-listened to um, the third book in a series called The Poor Man's War, and uh, it's an author named Elliot Kay. And he, uh, he can find his stuff on audio on audible and, and he self publishes, but, um, he's become one of those stable of, of audible authors who they regularly produce his stuff. Oh. Hmm. And it's a science fiction series where the, um, the biggest problem for most people is the fact that the debt has gotten so bad for everyone that basically the large corporations essentially own you from the time you graduate college. And one star system sits there and goes, you know what? No. And a war breaks out. And it's just, it follows one young man who finds himself being much to his great annoyance at the center of a lot of things. Because people keep trying to kill him, and he really doesn't care for that. He just <laughs> wants to live through the war. Uh, and much to his great annoyance, he becomes a hero. Huh. And they're they're very entertaining, but they're also very... There's a lot about politics and the ethics of war and how, you know, the choices that you make, uh, right and wrong. And it, they're very solid science fiction novels. Um, and... Uh, some interesting discussions on you know what it means to be the right guy in the right place and how that sounds great on paper it really sucks if you're that guy <laughs> sure uh, <laughs> because again people keep trying to kill you uh and uh, and and it's it's fairly you know uh it's it's well crafted in terms of dealing with the um the military side of things without being a soup, you know, there's, there's military science fiction. That's very much, this is military science fiction. Mm -hmm. This is a story about people take that takes place during a war who happened to be in the military. It's not that kind of, uh, uh, really kind of leaning into the, the technology porn that you can get with some of those, um, military sci-fi mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So I really enjoyed it, and, and I highly recommend his. Now, it's really easy to find his other major series on Audible as well, which I do have to warn people against, uh, not against, because I really like it. But it's he's got another series uh, called Good Intentions, and uh, it's very much full of sex and violence. And so be warned if you pick those up. Um, they're a very different kind of. They're a fantasy series, modern, uh, contemporary fantasy series. Okay. But they're full of lot full of lots of sex. Be warned. Uh, what's what's <laughs> what's the series that 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 you're currently in? What's that one called again? It's called it's called the poor man poor man's war. Poor man's war. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna write yeah. that down, and I. Well, that sounds interesting. Sounds, yeah, pretty good. Cool. All right. Well, anything else uh, before we move on to our review of Time Lord Victorious? If not, Keith, I bet you don't have a synopsis for, <laughs> for, an, synopsis. for an entire event. <laughs> I well, do not. I think we'll we'll just kind of leap into it. I think some of the to to clean up the edges of of uh, the Time Lord Victorious event, we've pretty much covered everything up until now, with the exception of some of the things we couldn't get our hands on. Um, some of the things that we hadn't touched on were the Edge of Time, the Time Lord Time Lord Victorious update for the uh, VR game, and then uh, Time Fracture, which is the big event that's uh, happening in the UK. Uh, the VR game, mostly because, you know, money and uh, none of us have a VR setup right now. And then, of course, uh, Time Fracture is even more expensive because uh, you would have to fly over to the UK to see it because it's an exclusive event over there. But from what I have seen of both of these, because there's some videos online of the uh, Edge of Time, uh, Time Lord Victorious update, it looks kind of cool. From what I, uh, what I gleaned from the one that uh, I saw is you're basically searching down all of these different relics. And if you watch through and, and each of these relics connect to certain things that happened in the series. And I thought for, you know, for a VR uh, game update, that that's, that was kind of a clever idea. Um, I think anybody though, that downloaded it, I don't know what the gameplay is like. Cause I've just seen the clips of the stuff that you locate, but it seemed to me that if somebody wasn't into this, maybe they could get something out of this besides the connection, but I don't know how exciting it would be because to me, seeing some of the, the things that uh, um, you pick up was kind of the, the treat of it. So I'm not sure how that would work for somebody who's not you know, pl- involved in the rest of the series. Yeah, and it looked because it looked like it wasn't like its own gameplay pack. It was just an add-on where you had collectibles to discover, right. and then you do that in order to unlock the Tenth Doctor's Time Lord Victorious screwdriver. Right. So I mean, it's just a cool little Easter egg hunt add-on that they put on there, which is pretty cool, especially if it was free, which I'm not sure if it was. Yeah, I don't um, know if it was or not. I would hope I would hope it would be free, but. You know, because you paid for the game already, and they just did an add-on. Oh, here's an extra skin pack you can get, but that's not how video games work these days. No, no, <laughs> DLC DLC usually catch, cut, uh, cost you money. So the fact that they do that and they have a little puzzle to it is is kind of cool. But if I was hoping for more, if I had the Edge of Game Edge of Time game and was hoping for more true content out of it i would be very disappointed yeah i think so too just looking at what i've seen and obviously an invite if anybody out there listening has it and has played it then let us know yeah absolutely we'd be interested to hear uh, some commentary on it 
Uh, the other thing that I think is cool, but also so restrictive, is that time fracture event. It sounds really it's, neat. It sounds like a really cool, involved. You know, you you become in the middle of basically a performance. You become part of the performance. And for all intents and purposes, it looks like fun, but it's just really a struggle for this global Time Lord Victorious event and then just restricting it to one continent. I wouldn't even mind, and maybe it will come here sometime, I wouldn't even mind if it was in only one city in the U.S., but it seems like such an exclusive thing that it almost turns me off of it at the same time as makes me excited about it. It sounds so ridiculously cool <laughs> that, well, it's, and it's kind of like, it's a more involved version of the Doctor Who experience, it sounds like. Right, yeah. yeah. Which makes me want to see it even more and makes me very frustrated that I can't. Yeah. But it also kind of sounds like it's such a, a, a tertiary part of Time Lord Victorious itself that I'm not, I'm disappointed that I can't ex- experience it and the doctor who aspect of it not on the time lord victorious aspect of it yeah if that makes sense. yeah that does make sense well and from from what i can tell is the the time fracture of it too they've done this one in such a way that you don't have to uh have immersed yourself in any part of time lord victorious to completely you know enjoy this so i think that's probably a good thing from uh the perspective of people that are just coming to this without being involved or or having part you know partaken of any of the uh, time lord victoria stuff but i also like the fact that it heavily plays into in an easter egg sort of way because this is the fracture that the tardis ends up going through to go back into uh the dark times and this is you know the, the right. fracture that is is causing a lot of the effects that that this uh is going on now so it's interesting it's clever it is clever it's really clever Maybe one day. What's that, Tim? Maybe one day. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes me get back to the UK. That makes me wonder how if it's a limited event or if it'll be like you know the the Doctor Experience ran for what four years, five years over there before they finally closed it. And I wonder if this is going to be. I haven't looked to see how far it's booked out. I wonder if this is going to be one of those things that's you know sort of quasi. whether it's temporary or whether it's kind of quasi permanent, you know, and I don't mean permanent, but indefinite, you know, where they don't have a time where they're going to close up and then maybe they'll wait until they stop selling, you know, the event out or stop selling tickets to the event and realize, okay, well, it's kind of run its course. I haven't, I didn't look into it, you know, deep enough to know if it's something that's going to keep going. The way the interviews from the radio times, uh, preview had made it sound like it was kind of just a, like most uh, most theatrical events, it's going to really depend on attendance. Sure, yeah. That was kind of the impression I got, too. And I think the last thing... Well, you know, we I think we talked a little bit about the shirt, uh, which I thought was interesting that they, they, they have a shirt that was in this and uh, the, the glowing part. The thing that I think we, we missed at the very beginning, which I think we we're going to talk about and i think maybe we sort of revisited it when we did the um print and play game but we didn't talk much about the actual thing that started all of this or or i should say the beginning of all of this uh the first available thing which was the um uh, exp- uh escape room 
over in the, which again another <laughs> exclusive to the UK. Um, but we didn't talk much about that. I had I, it, that one was the hardest for me to find any reference material on um, and look back and 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 you know look at it because there's just not a lot out there. In fact, there was I couldn't find very many reviews um, of it particularly as well. But I mean, I, I think it's a, a neat idea. I think that um, having that game connect well, let, let's launch into the event as a whole. Let's start talking about the event of the whole since we're kind of this kind of takes us back to the very beginning. I think that the concept of this, of doing a multi-platform Doctor Who event, on paper was a good idea. I and and I I got so sucked up into it as you know I think September or so is when I far, first sort of got you know caught wind of of what was happening with it and and got interested in it, and I got really excited about it. And I thought, what a great idea! And at the time, it didn't really con- I didn't really consider how much, if you really wanted to do all of it, how much you would have to invest in order to do so. And uh, so I I think that the idea on paper was a good idea, but I don't know after reaching the end of it if if the payout was worth it. Does that make sense? What do you guys think? I mean, as far as everything together i think i agree with you and it's it's a thing where the core of it of like the audios and the books that tied it all together the main thrust of the story was well done it's when they started adding on a whole bunch of other stuff just to loosely tie every single thing that was coming out into it is when it got unwieldy and a little unnecessary where a lot of it is so not really connected to Time Lord Victorious aside from a line drop. Uh, it feels like they shoehorned it in. There's so much of it that didn't feel needed uh, to the overall story that they could have trimmed the fat and made it a much more cohesive and better told story. I suppose that's fair. Um, I've been struggling with this for a while because I, I, I don't want to take necessarily anything away from them. Um, there, there is a large amount of audacity to attempt this. Um, it's a big story. It's a multi-doctor story. It's a multi-platform story. You've got books and audio adventures and comics and all, all these other things that are all meant to, you know, tie in all by different publishers, all you know, with a whole different range of licensing people involved, all with, you know, and everything has to come back to the BBC. So we assume, unlike the recent Star Wars trilogy, that they probably mapped something out. <laughs> yes, I'm going to dig on that one more time. <laughs> but they, 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 we, we assume that they probably had this overall arcing, you know, outline this is the story that we're going to tell and this is how we're going to piecemeal it out to all of these different things. That's huge. That is just a massive undertaking. Coupled with the fact that now this wound up being produced in 2020. Yeah. I mean, what what are you going to do? This is the most ambitious thing we can think of with all these other moving pieces. Oh, and a pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. 
and yet they still managed to pull it off as well as they did. That to me is impressive. I mean, it, it really is. Kudos to them for for the attempt. I agree with Keith. It felt a little unwieldy at times, and it certainly didn't line up as, as, as neatly as, as my little fan brain would have liked it yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's still some, some problems with it, but you know, overall, I think there were probably more pluses than minuses. Tim. I, I have really mixed feelings about this. And part of it is, is my initial impression of this. And like you, I was really pretty excited when the whole big idea of just the scale and what they're trying to do. And I had this image in my head of the kind of story we were going to get which was not completely accurate. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, just because my initial impression was a much darker story. And this is not an upbeat, cheerful little tune we're right. hearing. Right. Uh, but it, the the initial impression I had was that we were going to go to a much darker place in terms of, of where the doctor was. Um, uh, it was not meant to be a pun. Oh, God. <laughs> um, I apologize. Uh, but there's, and, and the story didn't, didn't go as far as I thought it was going to, um, which on one hand, um, kind of made, led me into the other thing that I noticed, which was, it was causing mixed feelings. We've, if you've, if you were, a, if you were reading Dr. Who books back during the, our, the show's own dark times, the wilderness <laughs> years, um, this has been done before. And it was done, it was limited to the novel range where basically, you know, you had a bunch of different authors all writing a bunch of different novels that took place and telling something of a story arc. And it also had its ups and downs and some of them were less successful than others. Um, so I, I, I really kind of liked the fact that we were bouncing around, but I actually found myself enjoying the stuff taking place around the 10th Doctor's story more than I did the 10th Doctor's I'm Lord Victoria story. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the audio, you know, the eighth Doctor audios that were around it, you know, with having, you know, the short, you know, the, the, the short stories where, you know, they're connected. Um, but I didn't find myself as engaged with the main storyline as I ended up being for the secondary stories. Mm -hmm. which I thought was, and there's, there's nothing wrong with the main storyline. I think it, it overall held together, but I thought that was really odd that I'm like, I'm really enjoying this eighth doctor audio. Well, I think, part of, I think part of that comes from the fact that we, it, it felt to me that we got more eighth doctor out of this than we did anything. And I think it's because mm -hmm. big finish had such a big hand in their oh, part sure. of this. And so it really feels like the Tenth Doctor was supposed to be the center of this, but they almost featured the Eighth Doctor a little more. And I think I, I agree. I think I enjoyed so much more the Eighth Doctor adventures in this than even, as you said, the core story that this is all kind of, you know, uh, uh, situated around. That said, let's talk a little bit about what, what were the things that we did like and what are the things that we think didn't quite work so well? Well, as Tim points out, I think the peripheral stories in, in many ways did work better than maybe the, the solid whole. 
And the reasoning, I can chalk that up to two different things. One, at least in my end, is my just kind of enjoyment level of Paul McGann is a little higher than it is of David Tennant. Not that there's anything wrong with David Tennant. I just, Paul McGann's one of my guys, you know. I'm sorry, um, I, just heard, I just heard a collective internet gasp out there. <laughs> yeah, it happens every now and then when I bring that up. But you know, I agree with I agree with you as it happens. Um, but I've you know, I mean Tom Tom Baker is my doctor, but Paul McGann runs a very close second, and so any any anything that's oh more Paul McGann, I just kind of automatically get a little ah and uh, and and run with that. So that's part of it. But the other part of it is, as you pointed out, Tim, that we were kind of under the impression, and I think we all were, because we, we certainly talked about it here, that this was going to be a darker story. Mm-hmm. That it was kind of set up to be the, are we prepared for the doctor to go where this is going to go? And that builds in an intrinsic distrust of the events. Because at its core... He's the hero. Uh-huh. He, he, he is the star of the show. He is the, the character that we know and love. And while it makes for good drama, and it's very heart-wrenching on our part to have him put through a, a trial of this nature, it's also in our deepest heart of hearts desires, not what we want. Because we, we, we want the doctor to be true and noble and heroic and not necessarily out there committing genocide. And so I think when you take the seed of the idea, which is brilliant, but then pair it up with the expectations of the idea, you automatically have some some, some scrubbers that are not that, that just don't mesh, and it, it's a little difficult to overcome chunks of that uh, from from a from an ideology and a philosophy stand, philosophical standpoint that we're, we're supposed to be enjoying this story of the doctor's downfall. And to many regards, well, we've already seen that on TV. We know what happens. This is just supposed to be an added piece of it. And yet, how are you going to take him to where logically it needs to go? And yet then still back it off in order to get him back to the next TV special. Mm-hmm. So that there were, there were, there were some, there were some gear changes that happened throughout this, that, they just didn't quite line up for, for me uh, as it went. And I, I think that's one of the problems that they ran into. I think you almost end up with not going far enough, or at least I felt that way, mm-hmm. because you're right. I, I think we've, we've seen these stories where the Doctor, I've almost gone too far. We saw it in the 10th Doctor. We saw it in uh, the 12th Doctor a lot. We saw a twelfth doctor a lot, a lot. <laughs> seventh doctor, uh, seventh doctor, certainly. Uh, and I think again that uh, this pulling back to the virgin line of books, where you have this, you know, where the doctor being, you know, the, the seventh doctor was pretty genocidal in the in the book range. You know, he did it more than once, and the that's the challenge is you take the character that far into that, you know, the time, the time Lord victorious has a certain amount of built in, uh, expectation. It's, I am the Lord of time. I, you know, the rules don't apply to me. I make the rules. And there's a certain amount of, I think, nightmare fuel that, that conjures up in my head that, well, it's it's the doctor becoming Rassilon, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
and this doesn't go that far, which is, uh, yes, that would be really, really hard. You, it, you push the 10th Doctor that far, and he becomes that character, and you know, we're treading Valyard territory here. Well, whichever version of the Valyard you feel like thinking might be a thing. Um, <laughs> but it, it's really hard to pull back from that and have the character be the character. Because what's what what is the trigger that tells you you've gone too far if you're going to the places where the idea of the Time Lord Victorious really sets itself up for? It's I, I think I think it's a it's a weird thing where I just felt like they went too far and not far enough, but mostly not far enough. Well, and I think well they maybe went too far or not far enough or wherever how far they decided to go the bigger issue I had was the fact that, you know, he then, he doesn't stay there. He crosses the line and then quickly goes back over. And I feel like he should have lingered over the line if he was going to cross the line and then also have more dwelling or rumination on what he did as opposed to how he was, he just, once it was done, he just kind of like, Oh, yep, okay. I probably shouldn't have done that. Never mind. And, not necessarily tried to undo it either. So it's not like they didn't commit the landing is the problem. Mm -hmm. I think the build up to everything is fantastic and well thought out, but then it gets to the end and stumbles because there's no follow through with it. He doesn't necessarily, you know, there's nothing there that gives us a reason to think he should change his mind other than he all of a sudden does. And then there's no ramifications for what he's done. There's no exploration of the ramifications for what he's done. There's no consequences. Yeah, exactly. That's that's where the issues with the overall story land is. Unfortunately, with the book All Flesh is Grass and, and the fact that they didn't set more than one story post that novel. Yeah. Well, that's its that's its greatest sin, I think, is ar- arguably the core of this are the two novels. And where The Night, the Fool, and the Dead, I thought, set up an incredible premise. It put all of the pieces, for the Tenth Doctor's perspective, and, and Brian, it, that when they put those pieces in place, and it ended in such a phenomenal way that it did, with the Ninth Doctor showing up with the vampires and the Eighth Doctor showing up with the Daleks, it... It my expectations were so high that when All Flesh is Grass does not have the payoff or the payout that was needed for that setup, that's where this all kind of falls apart. Because as you guys were saying, he doesn't go far enough, or he maybe he does go that far, but he doesn't spend enough time there in order to 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 give us a redemption arc for the Tenth Doctor. He backs off too quickly. And I think we talked a little bit last week when we reviewed um, Echoes of Extinction that at least they that story brings back some of the okay the or at least drives home that the Doctor learned some lessons from all this doesn't really necessarily redeem him or doesn't give him a redemption story but. It's at least a okay. He understands, what, you know, how bad it could have been, um, and what he did was, you know, uh, at least regretful for him. And so I think that's a, that's its biggest fault is that 
the pieces, even even I think even some of the supporting pieces set everything up so nicely that the it's almost like they get to a certain point and then they weren't sure where to go with it after that. And so it starts to fizzle out at that point. And I think they had a real good chance of giving us now I think it's probably limited because of this, but they had a good chance of giving us some more meat and material with things like Tales of the Dark Time that was in the uh, the the Comic Maker app. Unfortunately, the Tom Comic Maker app was such a limited form to do something like that because it is so simplistic and so uh, you know it's it's not as stylized as something that you need to tell a bigger story, and so they were unfortunately relegated with the kind of short form side stories that were completely unnecessary. I mean, yay, they connected mm-hmm. and they had characters that we were familiar with. Um, but they didn't, you know, they, they were totally, that was kind of the, the fat that I think, you know, uh, as Keith was alluding to could have been trimmed. Um, I don't fault them for going there. I don't fault them for the ambition of doing that. And, and, you know, people I from listening to James Goss and reading the interviews that I've seen with him, it's almost like they sat down and they said, well, we've got this idea. We want to do this. And it started catching fire. And all of these other, you know, groups came and said, well, you know, can we do something with our comic maker act? We'd love to be a part of this. And they absolutely let's do that. And then, you know, somebody comes in and says, well, you know, what about on a shirt? And James Goss is a shirt. And they say, yeah, we can make it work. And so they make it work. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the crazy thing about this is that people came on board and were very excited about it. But I think, as Sean alluded to, I think that they, they mapped this out. But I have a feeling that that's as far as it gets, as far as the core of it, that they just didn't go far enough in mapping this out to... But that they didn't have the the safety net for when everything was starts to fall through. I suppose you could make the argument as well that part of the problem with the setup is that his support structure immediately arrives. That that we don't necessarily get to spend enough time with the tenth Doctor in Time Lord Victorious mode mm. before his other selves show up and tell him, "Dude, this is a bad idea." I I would have liked to have. You know, obviously we, we know it's a bad idea because this is, this is not the doctor, but had we gotten a little more, I don't know if you, maybe a, a prequel novel or an audio or I don't know, something else that, that helped push him the, this, this way over that line, I would have liked some, some, some arguments. I would have liked to have had a, uh, you know, a Captain America civil war moment where I was siding with Tony before I sided with Cap. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and and mm-hmm. instead, when when both 8 and 9 show up and they're like, dude, and they brought vampires and Daleks to really drive that point home, it, it's very easy to see, no, you are totally on the wrong side of this. And so we don't get that, that, that moment of crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then th- that kind of impacts the rest of the storytelling. But no, you're absolutely right. It's the landing. You have to stick the landing. And this, you know, it falls into the same category as, you know, best of both worlds. I'll go back and bring up Star Trek again, where part one is amazing and part two is okay because it's kind of the, this is how it had to end, but we weren't really sure until we got there. 
Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like whenever anybody joined on, they were like, okay, here's a build-up, here's a build-up, here's a build-up. Keep building on to the build-up of the event as opposed to, well, let's make sure the middle is fleshed out. Let's mm-hmm. make sure the end is fleshed out. They all tacked on to the beginning of it instead of spreading out the wealth. Yeah. Well, they lean too heavy on that novel, too, to, to kind of fix everything. And I think that while I, we did get a big finish story of after as the Eighth Doctor goes back, I almost think you could have, instead of putting all the weight on the second novel, and, and of course now this would have gone against what they initially said they didn't want to do, but if you hadn't put all of the weight on the novel and you had spread it out and given it a comic treatment on the backside and the novel and an audio treatment that sort of supported each other, then I think you could have made it work because you would have had more room to tell a story. You'd have had more room to have those conflicts and confrontations. Um, But unfortunately they weren't able to do that. And so you don't have the support that that novel needed and because everything is on the front end, it's it's it is it, it is a front heavy event with a lot of setup. Well, I think their release, I know they're the goal of you know, you can jump in at any point and be able to kind of follow along, and for the most part, that's true. I think they should have paid closer attention to releasing it linearly, so that it was easier to track what was happening when, and then they would have been able to maybe add some to the back end because well this comic's not going to come out until after the book is out so therefore you know you can have the epilogue and not have anything spoiled yeah and that was the uh, that was uh, whoever's in charge of the overall thing that was one of the faults i felt was that we never got a really good roadmap because they did release uh on the doctor who website at least two you know, roadmaps. One was things as they were in release order, and then one was read by order, but it wasn't a very well done read by. It almost needed to be more of a no. flow chart than a linear chart split into three parts. I think that was another thing. So they didn't have for those of us that were in you know engaging in all of the product or, or as much as we could. It, it, they didn't give us. They think we needed a little more hand holding than we got. We were we were forced to put together the pieces uh, of a puzzle that we didn't quite have all the pieces to initially, and I think that 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 kind of hurt it as well. Um, now, as Sean pointed out, they were working on this in a pandemic, and a lot of plans got thwarted because of that, and, and a lot of things got shuffled around. In fact, we we had a few releases that that got pushed out later, and so I I completely understand that and sympathize that part. Yes, yeah, and we're and we're known on this podcast for jumping from here to there, <laughs> all over the place, and still being able to you know keep things straight. But I just think there should have been a little bit more hand holding from the producers of this, uh, in order to get us through it. And again, I appreciate I think some of that came comes down to also the everyone came out of the woodworks wanting to be involved and they said yes. And so they kind of had to, I think initially they probably did have a, a pretty well thought out. Okay, we'll release this, this, and this, and this. Yes, you can do it in any order, but if you follow the order, when we release them, you'll be good to go. Yeah. And then the pandemic and then everybody else piling on to wanting to join the event just created a huge mess that they couldn't quite get out from underneath. Yeah, man. I just say it's a it's a train wreck because it's not. I mean, no, right. if, if if 
I think that if people are really enjoying this thing and and enjoyed it all the way through, that excuse me. I think there's there's definitely room for that. We of course I think have a tendency to come in for this stuff a little more critically. Yeah. Than than other people will. Um but yeah, there's a you know, there I the fact that so much got done during the pandemic is a giant challenge for this sort of operation. Mm-hmm. Especially considering so much of it is does involve things like audiobooks. Um, which were recorded while people were basically recording in their cupboards from their homes. Yeah. And this is a big challenge. One of the, one of the major podcasts that I, well, major, one of my favorite podcasts to just come to end of its run. Uh, it's called the Magnus archives. And this is an example of how, how little, how little things can in a pandemic in this kind of industry can cause utter chaos. So they're recording this podcast and a couple other podcasts. And one week before the lockdown goes down in the UK, the producer of the Magnus Archive says, I've got to start setting up home studios for all my people. I got to do it now. We like this one kind of microphone. He bought everyone he could get. <laughs> and he wiped out the entire quantity of this microphone in the UK for <laughs> three weeks one guy Mm. buying something akin to 25 microphones it isn't Mm. even a giant number but it was what the uk suppliers had on their shelves nobody was planning for this nobody was expecting it to be what it was and listening to the audio quality from that we get out of this really really well produced this is not this is not sloppy work this is not you know someone is obviously recording you know in the basement with their cell phone versus for someone who's recording you know in their own tricked out home studio mm-hmm. this is well produced well edited well balanced content um, but it's still a huge huge challenge to make all this stuff work yeah well listening to big finishes podcast i i, I they pretty much said that they they did pretty much the same thing where they they said okay how do we make this stuff work from home and so they started with people using what they had and luckily mcgann his son is a uh music producer he produces music and so he already had kit at home and already had everything that was quality sound and so paul mcgann's went smooth according to them it was some of the other peripheral stuff they said was a challenge uh but once they got everybody the equipment they got i think they got them on a uh, and i, I want to check this program out but i can't remember what they said they're using uh but there's a a joint uh, uh recording software that they're all using now too um that came about or i think this was recording software that had been around but was tweaked and perfected during the pandemic because so many people were needing there was the need for this so yeah i'm with you i the challenge of getting through that and the the chaos is you know certainly forgiving for how some of this turned out but uh, let's talk a little bit about i i think some of the key highlights of this was i think um Monstrous Beauty, I think, was one of my favorites, only because, not because it was a a great story, 
But because it featured the Ninth Doctor, who I think we we sorely got undersold in this uh, arc. We did not get near as much of the Ninth Doctor as we do the Tenth and the Eighth Doctor. And I was really kind of jonesing for some Ninth Doctor at the time. So I think Monstrous Beauty did a nice job of filling that in its three parts that it did. I would have liked to have seen it go longer. I would have liked to have seen that comic be a little more long form. Um, but for what it did in those three parts, I, I really appreciated that. As I said earlier, I think that the, the Night, the Fool, and the Dead was a terrific book. Stephen Cold or Steve Cold does a, a, a terrific job of painting the picture and setting things up. Um, I enjoyed Master Thief and Lesser Evils, which were the short trips that Big Finish did. Uh, I think this falls in the category of trimming the fat, though. I think it is yeah. not something that's necessary. It does give us some more insight into the Kuturu. Uh It does give us a little bit of background into the uh, de-evolution gun uh, or the, the de-evolution beam. But it, it's it's unnecessarily. While I enjoyed it, I, I was glad it didn't have to be there. But I did enjoy those. Um, I liked all of the McGann stuff, as we talked about before, the, the uh, audios that he did. And then I think my other, interestingly enough, uh, my other big highlight of this, I think, was the, um, well, it goes without saying for me that the Daleks miniseries was was just <laughs> amazing. Even if, it, even if it doesn't feel like it ties in and is just kind of a shadows of what's leading up to this, it still was so well done. And so much fun, and I had so much fun with it. But the one thing that stuck out to me, and that this wasn't even something that I think originally connected, and there's very little to connecting it, but I thoroughly enjoyed the Hollow Planet uh, print-and-play escape room that we got to, we finally got together. And maybe it's because I hadn't seen you guys for so long that we were able to get together and actually <laughs> play this. But I thought that was a neat little... Uh, if if anything got shoehorned in here that was a neat addition, I think that was it. I think that was the one thing that I that that the little glimmer of 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 uh, shine that uh, in all of this big stuff I think is getting underplayed. I thought that escape room thing was a lot of fun too. It didn't necessarily have to be a Time Lord Victorious event. It could have just been a event, and we could have reviewed it whenever. And I think it would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I really, I really liked the Daleks. That was so much fun, uh, and possibly because we don't get—if you're old enough to remember, God, I hate doing that now. I still do it <laughs> so much. I keep getting older, which is good. I mean, you know, getting older part—it's when you stop getting older that the issues arise. Um, Not but, really that many issues, really. <laughs> just one true. issue when you, when you stop getting older just one really big issue <laughs> well the problem is that not only is it one big really big issue it's an ongoing one <laughs> it's a never ending issue yeah. uh, is, there was a time and of course it was never going to happen when the Daleks was a, potentially going to be a US TV series yeah Perry Nation were shopping it over here, and uh, and luckily it didn't happen because I can see that way that way it'll be lying bad things. Mm-hmm. But having a show just focusing on the Daleks, having you know shows focusing on the villains uh, have real potential, and we don't get a lot of them in in things like like Doctor Who. So 
having having that and it was just fun animation i mean it was it was fun to look at it was fun to watch i i like having those kind of oddly enough in a show about the daleks it was strangely cheerful yeah like <laughs> uh, really really enjoyed it it really appealed to me especially considering i think i started watching it when things were starting to get really bad and so it was a it was an up a, an upbeat little moment. Yeah, um, it was a pick when, me up. When, yeah, yeah, uh, which is which is something that you know there were not a whole lot of those. No, <laughs> uh, and over the last year or so, and uh, and you know, and of course it's still not over. Of course, it's still you know there's still still dangers out there. Um, interestingly enough, I think one of the one of the things I enjoyed the most was one of the most tangential. And that was the uh, Canaries, the short story. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so, it's such a, it it's ties, it, it, well, it, it, there's, there's so much going on in that story. In such few words, there's a whole lot, not to mention, strictly speaking, although it's been, you know, the debate has gone on, Faction Paradox is one step closer to being canon again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, which has its own crises uh, that will develop if they actually tried to do that, because <laughs> there's ways for storylines to go off the deep end. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I really, really appreciated the fact that it ended up being for for very few words. So much information is packed into that, and so many. It's a multi doctor story in a way that. You don't expect. <laughs> you don't expect. I, you I, really don't expect. I thought it was really, really well written. Yeah, I uh, enjoyed that too. I think Daleks also had the benefit of being the the lone televised component. Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, because we're so used to Doctor Who as a visual medium, yeah. and we can't wait for the show to come back. And well, we're in that long, cold, dark corridor between seasons. Where there is no sunlight. <laughs> Sorry, I depressed myself. Um, but then along, you know, along comes this little thing, and yeah, it's five episodes, and it's kind of goofy, and it's animated, and it's all about the dot. Doesn't matter. I, I'm watching Doctor Who. Okay, <laughs> so the, the, there's an automatic uplift there. I think the 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 biggest beat they missed, and maybe it's because it was probably shot and written so far ahead of this that there was just no way to tie it in but i think the beat that they missed was not tying the uh new year's day special in especially since it was a dalek story and i don't even think it had yeah. to be a culmination i don't think it had to be even heavily connected i think even a name drop or a mention in it could have made it feel like could have connected to the event in such a big way. And I think that was probably a missed beat. And again, I don't know how that worked out it, the script probably was written, you know, much longer before this thing even came about. They probably filmed it way back in, in, you know, the beginning of last year because they did all that, you know, pre lockdown in the UK in the fall. So, um, but I think that was one of the biggest beats they missed. Really, yeah, I would agree. I really did. I really dazzled you with that theory, didn't you? I? Did you really <laughs> did? You got me. You got my hopes up so much that that was just so shattered. 
<laughs> but but I can't get you to bite on the Omni rumor. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some things are too big to bite. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what else before we wrap our show up, guys? What else did you guys uh, want to talk about on this uh, set? I, as somebody who remembers the old Doctor Who magazine, all these little peripheral little things that went with the figures, the figurine collections, I was flashing back to being a teenager looking at some of this stuff with the cutaways of the Daleks. And there's not a whole lot to them. They're not very long. They're just a few pages, really. Uh, but it was it was like a nostalgia trip. And I realize this stuff is going on in the UK all the time. Well, uh, but we don't get as much of it as we used to, or at least I don't notice it as much. That's probably the more accurate aspect. I wonder if, um, I wonder if part of that, Tim, is, and I'm just speculating because I've come to the Virgin New Adventures uh, so much later in the game, and you were reading them back when they were actually coming out. Um, this sort of reminds me of these particular things, especially sort of remind me of those preludes they did with the Virgin New Adventures. So in Doctor Who magazine, they would Mm -hmm. always have that prelude short story to whatever book was coming out. And that's what this kind of feels like is that little connector. And I'm wondering if maybe that's why it feels like that to you. It very well could be. I mean, it's just, it, I, I was just pouring over these going, Oh, look at that. (laughs) (laughs) yeah the the little magazines that come the hero collector line i have been quite impressed with i think i'm the only one that's picked up the figures but i uh again goes without saying the daleks i love absolutely love the figures are heavy duty the sculpts are great the paint jobs are wonderful um i was a little worried that the uh the more humanoid figures wouldn't and human-like figures would not translate as well until I did get um, Brian the Ood and uh, the Tenth Doctor as Tenth Doctor uh, Time Lord Victorious, and they even look great. Now, when I first got the Tenth Doctor one, I thought, oh, they messed his, they've scuffed his face, but it's supposed to be scuffed up because he's dirty. He just came through <laughs> a battle with the Katuru. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I, the sculpt on Brian is is terrific. And I, I, it, if I had the money, I probably would collect a lot more of these because there there's so many out there that that look great. But I think I'll probably maybe pick them up as just a few at a time and and try to fight my completionist urge. I think it is pretty cool that they did those figurines to make, you know, a collectible aspect of the whole thing. I really enjoyed the comic maker. While the stories that were presented within the comic maker that were so very loosely tied <laughs> to to the events, um, you, you want to talk about preludes and cutaways, um, but the just the the idea of what this app is and does. And the potential for it, I, I I fervently hope that there's more to it, that it's not just going to be this kind of flash in the pan and done, uh, although I suspect it probably is going to be a flash in the pan and done. Um, but the little bit that I've gotten to play with it, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Well, and that thing's been around since, I think, 2019. And in fact, it was completely off my radar and had they not tied into this uh, Time Lord event, I probably, they still would have been off my radar. So kudos to them for jumping on board and, and bringing some attention to their own little app there, because I agree, it's a neat little app. It would have been a lot of fun if um, Legacy 
was still around mm-hmm. yeah. and uh th- think of all the cool levels that we would have gotten mm-hmm. and uh yeah extra character drops and things yeah that's true because they did a lot of tie-in stuff back in the day we'd have had uh we- weekly di- uh, time lord victorious codes for you <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> all right well sean what do we got coming up on the schedule well, coming up on the schedule next week, we uh, we dip back into our year-long celebration of Mucho Master. We are going to take a look at the first Doctor Adventures uh, 1.1 uh, from Big Finish, which is called The Destination Wars. I can't and, believe you uh, just said 1.1. 1.1. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've determined it's almost easier just to, <laughs> you know... Series one, episode one. Series one, episode one. You know, it's one dot one. one. Uh, But uh, Destination Wars. And then uh, the second issue of the Missy comic from our friends over at Titan. Uh, So we'll be getting some more Master. Following that, there has been a change in the program, which I don't know if we had discussed previously or not. We're going to do some, uh, some relatively recent big finish work. With the Ninth Doctor Adventures, this will be the Ravagers box set, and we'll do all three of those stories. So that's the Sphere of Freedom, Cataclysm, and Food Fright, for those of you keeping track at home, all by Nicholas Briggs. And then, Glenn, do you want to tell them what happened with our uh, our Lost in Time? (laughs) I was going to give you the drum roll so that you could do the big reveal. Oh, well, okay. I'll take the drum roll. That's, that's, is that all I get? Is there a real drum roll there? Are you putting it in post? <gasps> uh, we'd asked you to, uh, we, we do the Lost in Time where we go back and take a look at uh, missing episodes. And uh, we've only got, I think, six or seven left. And we'd asked you to pick the next one we were going to do. And by majority vote, you selected the Space Pirates. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> So that will be our next missing, uh, missing in action. You know, it's an, it's an, it's an off my line story that I have seen a lot of people revisit recently and say, you know what? It's not as bad as people made it out to be. So well, it'll be interesting. That's what I've heard. Also, I look forward to seeing it. It's, it'll be my first time with it. So we will take a look at the, uh, the, the retc, uh, recon, recon. I almost said retcon. (laughs) It's not retcon. (laughs) Reconstruction. Redcon's that Torchwood drug, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, we, we have a, a, an episode coming up with some big numbers in it. Woohoo! We, we have something special planned some, for that that I hope Glenn numbers. is working on. Oh, yeah. Some, oh, I, some even numbers. It's almost all put together. I'm, I've been oh, so really? Ex- yeah, I've been so excited to do it. that I mean, I've only been planning it for, what, three years? <laughs> so, yeah, we're, it's, it's going to be a fun one, but... You'll have to wait and find out. Uh, be sure to check out our website, Trailing the Vortex, for updates on this podcast. And while you're there, uh, you can uh, consider supporting this podcast by uh, clicking on the Patreon link. We also have links to our partner uh, website, which is uh, Sci-Fi for Me TV. Uh, they, of course, have their YouTube channel and their website. Tim, how can people find all of the goodies over there, including the show that we do with you guys, Tardis Sauce? Well, you can actually find us at a couple different places. You can find us on the website, sci-fi4me.com. You can find Sci-Fi For Me TV over on YouTube. 
You can find, goodness, every different podcast that we're currently doing over on the podcast platform of your choice. We're pretty much everywhere. Um, and for we'll, those who, who don't know, Tim, what are some of those? Just kind of give us a rundown of some of the different well, shows sure. that you can so find we have, there. We have, of course, Tardis Sauce, which you guys are kind enough to come join me and Macy Branch as we talk about a lot of different stuff. Discussing the toys, we may have to circle back around to the idea of looking back at the early days of Doctor Who toys because some of them are terrifying. <laughs> um, and amazing, but terrifying. Um, but we also have uh, shows like H2O, where Jason Hunt, who founded Sci-Fi for me, and I discuss various and sundry things, sometimes a little confrontationally. Um, but that <laughs> can be fun as well. Uh, we've got... That, that is both a video show on YouTube, but it also uh, comes out as a podcast. Uh, we have a show called Foreign Bodies, where um, a wonderful woman named Leslie and I sit there and discuss foreign horror films, because we both love foreign horror films. And uh, despite the fact there's so many of them that are more available than ever to U.S. audiences, there's still a lot that people haven't seen or don't even know is out there, so we're doing our best to travel out virtually into the world and, and share the good, the bad, and the why did they make this of <laughs> foreign horror films. Um, we also have shows uh, called Salacious Crumbs, which is a Star Wars show. Um, we've got, uh, God, goodness, there's so many different shows we have going on right now. Um, but definitely something to check out. And a little plug for a show which I do, which doesn't originated on sci-fi for me. But spun off in its own little world um, called Zompocalypse Now, where my friends Dustin Adair and Curtis Smith join me as we mostly watch the Walking Dead universe and are horribly snarky. <laughs> um, but when the show is not on the air or interesting breaks come along, we watch a lot of other horror related things. Um, it is a. We swear a lot, so fair warning. <laughs> uh, on the sci-fi for me shows we try you know we keep everything as as pg g-rated as possible we took the filters off zompocalypse now a long time ago <laughs> um mostly because the walking dead makes us wow. angry i just say of, <laughs> of all the content that you guys do the one that probably necessitates adult language <laughs> would be that there's yeah there's a whole lot of we uh i i used to edit it out I used I used to bleep it. I used to edit it out. I used to because, but no, we stopped. We're just like, <laughs> nope. You will you will know we you know what word we meant to have there because. Imagine a lot of that was you know three weeks later when you're done editing, you just went hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just yeah, leave, just leave them and tick the little explicit content warning on the <laughs> box on the. Uh, so much easier. Honestly, it was really funny to have because I would bleep Dustin out because Dustin's Dustin's. Uh, I tried, I tried, I tried early on. <laughs> I tried, I really did. Um, so I didn't swear a lot and I beeped Dustin out, and part of it got really funny just because <laughs> there were so many, you know, uh, times I had to cover up something, and then it was like. It's funny without the beeps too. So let's. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, if you if you want to hear people who who for some reason 
have been making writing reviews and, and, and reviewing the walking dead universe since the second season and never stopped doing it. <laughs> I think there's masochism involved. I'm not sure, <laughs> but that's a, that's, that's a show you can check out as well. And again, it's a different tone and you can find old episodes of a show I did on, on the Zompocalypse now channel. Uh, you can find old episodes of a show I did called, um, Family Movie Nightmare, where I recorded, uh, my kid and I looked at uh, some some horror for about six episodes or so. We did a little little spinoff show, um, which is also very sweary, because my kids, kid and I are also very sweary. <laughs> be warned, yeah. lots of swearing. Well, be sure to check all that out over there. And uh, Tim, we want to thank you very much for joining us this week to talk about the oh. uh, Time Lord Victorious event. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here. All right, fellas, before we wrap it up, is there anything else we need to touch on before we close? If not, until next time, I'm Glenn. Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing ya. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.